They found many of the dogs in poor condition, underweight and without water or proper bedding, and had coats matted with dried feces. They were just some of the conditions dogs were being kept in on a registered puppy farm in Cork. The owner failed in their recent efforts to overturn a closure order issued by Cork County Council. And with dogs worth over €80,000 seized from that one farm alone, this case underlines the fact that dog breeding is big business in Ireland. So you could be looking at 1,800 puppies a year. What does a puppy make? Maybe €1,000. So if you do the maths, I think you figure out there's a lot of money involved. And while the majority of puppy farms here are legitimate enterprises, Confusing legislation and the demand for dogs means standards can vary hugely from one farm to the next. Connor Dowling is Chief Animal Welfare Inspector at the ISPCA. He has seen the worst effects of mass dog breeding firsthand. Full dead horses in with dogs uh, for them to feed on. Big dogs mixed with small dogs were resulting in small dogs being killed by the bigger dogs. We found one dog that was missing parts of its feet. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, how did Ireland become the puppy farm capital of Europe? Connor, what is a puppy farm? What is a puppy farm? Well, there's a question. Um, For different people, it can mean very different things. Uh, There's no official term. You know, you can look it up online and there's some suggestions somewhere that produces pups for profit without too much concern for the well-being of the dogs or the pups involved. You know, but for some people, if somebody had three female dogs and was breeding, that would be a puppy farm. Uh, For me, I tend to distinguish between a registered dog breeding establishment, uh, which has been approved, and an illegal puppy farm, which is somebody who's breeding dogs who aren't licensed, who aren't registered, and perhaps not adhering to the, the standards that they should. Now, I think I know the answer to this because, look, things do get down to money eventually, but why are they being set up and where's the demand coming from? Well, like you mentioned the word demand and that's uh, what's behind all of it. It's the demand for puppies that fuels uh, the business. Uh, so people will, will satisfy that demand and it's been going on. It's not a new phenomenon. Uh, I'm 25 years with the ISPCA. Uh, I wasn't long in the job when we started coming across uh, dog breeding establishments or puppy farms as they would have been then, and and the standards then were really, really poor. Uh, So the demand comes from the public, ultimately, whether the public are here in Ireland or perhaps in the UK, or as we've heard recently, dogs being exported to Singapore. Uh, So, you know, that, that ultimately it is the public that creates the demand. And why the UK? The UK is a huge market for for dogs, uh, for puppies, and they've kind of legislated out breeding over the years. There is a certain amount of nimbyism, in my view, in the UK, or Britain particularly, where they feel they want puppies, they want certain types of puppies, but they don't want anyone breeding them on a large scale near them. So they create this vacuum that is fulfilled by breeders either in Ireland or indeed further afield in Eastern Europe. Uh, There's a lot of dogs come from Eastern Europe to Britain too. There is a big market there and they're not satisfying it internally. What happened during COVID? We heard during COVID that there was a vast demand for dogs, demand for puppies. People were at home, they wanted a puppy. How, how has that changed things? Things just got crazy for a while. I think you're right. People were sitting at home and they thought, oh, I've been thinking for years about getting a dog. This seems like the ideal time. Oh, here I am here all day. 
So the demand went up. I mean, the prices were ridiculous. I remember seeing an ad for Cocker Spaniel Cross Puppies for €450. Didn't say what they were crossed with. I don't know if they even knew. It didn't matter. If you had a puppy, somebody wanted it and they wanted it straight away and they would pay for it. Unfortunately, that's had a big fallout now. People have gone back to work uh, to some extent. Uh, Maybe the puppy that they, they thought would adapt easily to being at home alone hasn't done so. It's also the market is saturated. So from our point of view, when we're trying to rehome dogs, perhaps people who have been thinking about getting a dog, they went ahead and did it. And now they're not looking for a dog at this point in time. So we've got a kind of a perfect storm of events that have led to a very bleak picture in terms of dog welfare at the moment. And do we know how many puppy farms are operating in Ireland? And... I suppose, how many puppies they produce annually? Well, there was uh, 92, I believe, commercial dog breeding establishments registered at the end of last year. Uh, now, does that sound like a lot? Is that How does that compare with other years? Or it's, it's very difficult to know. It's something that does change. Some people get out of it. Some people get into it. There's a lot of illegal places there out there as well. I and mean, certainly during COVID, we found it was over 20 illegal dog breeding establishments operating in Ireland in a year alone. 20? Yeah. And how did you find them? Two reports from members of the public. People uh, contact us and our inspectors respond and found it. So these would have been premises within the definition of a dog breeding establishment and under law, which is a place where there are six or more female dogs with breeding potential. So if you've got somebody with five female dogs, they're not classified as a dog breeding establishment. What are they? They don't come under any legal definition. It's a backyard breeder, some people might call them. There's no specific legislation applies to them. The Animal Health and Welfare Act would. Uh, but then we're looking at, you know, is it cruel or not? And in our view, if somebody is producing puppies for profit, they're making money from it. They're producing puppies who are going to go into somebody's home and be a pet for the next 15 years. In our view, the standards should be way higher. That, you know, we shouldn't be talking about questioning, is there a grey area between whether it's cruelty or, or are the standards good enough? There should be a big gap between that. Could you give me an idea of the numbers involved, from the numbers of breeding bitches, for example, and then, and then the amount of money that they might make? Yeah, well, we, we don't have a precise number for the number of breeding bitches because there's different bands, there's a range of numbers. But we do know that the largest... DB in Ireland is registered for 300 breeding females. Now, if each of those females produces one litter a year, that's a conservative figure, an average uh, litter would be, say, six puppies. So you could be looking at 1,800 puppies a year. And conservatively at the moment, what does a puppy make? Maybe €1,000. That's probably conservative. So if you do the maths, I think you figure out there's a lot of money involved. Is there a fashion in dogs? Absolutely. What's, what's, what, what are people looking for now? Well, right at the moment, it's Dachshunds. Oh. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the Frenchies are, have been gone. The French Bulldogs, the, that fad is, uh, is on the wane. Other flat-faced breeds as well, like pugs, are in decline, which is no harm as well because they're, they're inherently unhealthy. But yeah, there, there are fads. The, the, the ones like the Cockapoos and the Cavachons, those mongrels, um, or designer crosses, depending on how you look at it, are still popular. But the latest trend at the minute, and we've heard this through statistics on online sellers, is Daxons. 
So you're from the ISPCA, you're a charity, though you do get, I think, some state funding through through grant aid. What's your role in all this in terms of puppy farms? Well, our inspectors are authorised under the Animal Health and Welfare Act, but that comes under the Department of Agriculture. There is also the Dog Breeding Establishments Act, which comes under the Department of Rural and Community Development and is enforced by the local authorities. There's a uh, lot of stakeholders in this then. Uh, this is what I'm hearing. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a confused picture. Uh, so, yes, we can get involved in, in dog breeding establishments or puppy farms. If there are offences under the Animal Health and Welfare Act, we can certainly look to uh, prosecute for those. Initially, the responsibility falls with the local authority. So this does create a confused picture and it's something that we would like to see changed. We think that dog breeding should come under the Animal Health and Welfare Act. We'd like to see a, a, a total revamp of the legislation that's currently in place and a transfer of responsibility. Connor, how many inspections would you do every year? Our inspectors respond to around about two and a half to 3,000 complaints annually. That would cover all species all uh, across all the areas we cover. And can you give me sort of an idea of, well, I suppose the worst situation or one of the worst situations that you've come across in terms of puppy farms? Well, there's only one that really stands out. It's going back a few years ago now, but there was a place in Carlow, which was a, a registered dog breeding establishment again. And this case really exposed some crucial flaws in the inspection regimes that were operated at that time. But the, uh, there was a guard uh, who had got information about this place and she obtained a search warrant and we went along with her and it was absolutely horrific what we found. I remember at the time saying I was 16 in the years in the job and I'd never seen anything like it. I'm now 25 years in the job and I've still never seen anything close to it. We ended up removing 340 dogs and 10 horses and the conditions, I mean, the judge in the trial described it as biblical and it was a pretty apt description. There was dead horses, full dead horses, in with dogs uh, for them to feed on. Uh, there was big dogs mixed with small dogs, resulting in small dogs being killed by the bigger dogs. Uh, we found one dog that was missing parts of its feet, and it was registered to a previous owner, and I had to phone that lady and say to her, you know, when you sold it, did it have all four feet? Uh, which was a pretty surreal thing to have to do. Um, yeah, it was... It was Pretty diabolical, and I hope I never see anything like it again. From a buyer's point of view, a buyer sees an ad, maybe social media, somewhere online, Facebook, whatever. Surely when they collect the dog, surely there would be evidence of that mistreatment. Or are there visible effects, less visible effects? Yeah, unfortunately, not always. Uh, I suppose puppies maybe don't have time to be affected by the conditions in the, the place from where, where they come from. So if you've got a, a fluffy-haired puppy, it's not going to get the time for its hair to grow and get matted. It might not show those sort of things. But there are other factors, such as socialisation, which are absolutely crucial and are often neglected as well. And it's not maybe so obvious in some of these places. You know, These puppies are being moved from maybe they spent their whole formative weeks in a, in a pen with just their mother and somebody coming to feed them and clean them out once or twice a day. And then they're transferred into a home environment where everything is very alien, all these noises, all these sights and sounds. Uh, and it can, they can really struggle to adapt to that. And, and people sh- should be mindful of that. And people really, in my view, need to be more careful. We, we all too often still hear from people who have 
had gone to, to on the, the process of buying a puppy and there's been alarm bells ringing along the way. They've spoken to the, 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 the seller. They're not anxious for them to see the mother and father, which they should do. Maybe they've arranged to meet them in a car park a or car whatever. Park yeah. or gateway. Mm. And, and then they buy a puppy and it isn't what they imagined it would be. And then they're upset and annoyed. But, you know, and often there's nothing we can do after the fact. So, you know, I think people really need to, to keep their wits about them. And, you know, it's been shown that people make emotional decisions. And often once they see the picture of a puppy, they're emotionally invested. And they find it very difficult to backtrack. But it's very important that they do. If you have any doubts or, or, or worries, don't go ahead with buying a puppy. I'll continue my conversation with Connor Dowling after this short break. So you talked a bit there about the demand from the UK because of the lack of available puppies there. And, you know, presumably there are very, very, very many reputable breeders here in Ireland who are breeding for the UK market. And that's one thing. But these not registered puppy farms, um, they need to transport the animals out of the country. Is there sort of a criminal element to that? Yeah, there certainly there are gangs and there was recently some uh, a prosecution in Scotland uh, with some people who are from the north of Ireland and they were sourcing dogs from all over Ireland and transporting them to Scotland. The open border between the Republic and the, nor- and the north of Ireland is, of course, a wonderful thing most of the time. But in terms of transport of puppies, it makes it very difficult to enforce. And I think because vehicles can pass freely across the border and then they arrive at the port in Belfast and the origin of the puppies isn't clear. They will claim that they come from Northern Ireland, they're travelling within the UK, the puppies don't need to be passported, they don't need to be rabies vaccinated. And it's very difficult to prove otherwise. Um, I suppose from an enforcement point of view, with political implications aside, it would make much more sense to enforce the barrier at the, at the ports and at the sea rather than at the border between Ireland and the Republic in the North. So you're painting a picture, really, of it's not somebody bringing one dog across the border. These are gangs bringing van loads. Yeah, I mean, there, there's and there's different people involved. There are transporters from Britain who would come over, and they might come over through uh, Rosslare or Dublin, and then they would travel around Ireland to the Republic, into the North, picking up puppies as they go, and then they travel out through Belfast, either to Scotland or to Liverpool. And do you think they are picking up dogs to order? Absolutely. They'd be reflecting trends, whereas whether there, there probably would be some precise orders of a particular dog, but certainly they'd be looking for certain types of breeds and, and, and ages. And there are also people here in Ireland that will, will source dogs for them and have them. So it mightn't be, they mightn't be going one house and picking up one pup or a litter of pups and on. There would be people who'd accumulate litters for them and be ready for collection. So can we talk a little about the the case that is in the Mallow District Court in County Cork? And that case, as we know, it involved uh, a puppy farm uh, being closed down because of the conditions that inspectors found there. The owner is in court trying to get licence to reopen the, the, the farm. So that's that's broadly what's happening there. 
But were you satisfied with with that? That seems like a result that it, that a, a puppy farm was closed down because of what the inspectors found there. Does that represent sort of a result for you, or or how do you view that? Yeah, I think it is, and you know, credit has to go to Cork County Council who pursued this matter, um, and and it wasn't easy, and it was costly, and it was difficult. There was a lot of resources went into it. You know, I think it's indicative of the frailties in the legislation as we currently stand. Everyone's entitled to legal recourse. But, you know, you had a four-day appeal uh, against this imposition of this closure notice. And when you look at the facts, it was quite obvious that this was an appropriate step for the council to take. Um, So, you know, again, credit to Cork County Council. I think it has a good precedent um, and we hope to see more of it. Um, But... At the same time, I think other local authorities might look at it and go, goodness, I mean, look, they had to jump through so many hoops to get this done. It's cost the council so much. Why would we go down that road? So I just hope that it doesn't influence other councils that way. So there is such a thing, you mentioned, the Register of Sellers and Suppliers of Pet Animals. So presumably there's rules involving that. So if I wanted to set up my little dog breeding operation tomorrow, what what are those rules, broadly speaking? Well, anyone who sells more than five pet animals in a year should be registered uh, and their premises should be registered with the Department of Agriculture. So if you look at an average size litter of puppies, it's six. So if you're breeding one litter of puppies a year, chances are you would have to be registered. Um, and then there's certain standards that apply in terms of, you know, you, should, you shouldn't encourage, uh, you know, spontaneous buys or impulse purchases and that sort of thing. The, the reality is that it, it doesn't have a huge impact most of the time. It, it can be useful when we're dealing with pet shops and, the, and those sort of places. But in terms of individuals selling a couple of litters of pups a year, this doesn't really impact on them too much. So if the rewards are so big, if you have a litter of pups, you've got five or six pups that you're selling, you're going to get six, seven, eight hundred euro, maybe more, much more maybe, for each one. What's the sanctions? Well, unfortunately, there aren't. And and I think, you know, that's the problem we have in Ireland as a society. I think our relationship with dog ownership and dog breeding is pretty poor. I think we need to look at ourselves and ask, Themselves, you know, is it right? How readily available they are, and they are. And you know, I've been dealing with somebody who has been served the notice stopping them from keeping dogs, and yet they've been able to make a phone call and have puppies delivered to their house. To their so keeping dogs as pets. Yes, mm-hmm. they can't keep dogs at all. But they could contravene this just by making a phone call, and somebody would deliver puppies to their door the next day. So when puppies are that easily accessible people tend not to be as responsible when they have them. And, you know, when we look at our Dog Breeding Establishments Act and our and our and the fact that we have such large dog breeding establishments in Ireland, you know, I, again, I would question, are we comfortable with the fact that there could be a place with 500 dogs in one place to satisfy the demand for puppies to go and live in some people's homes? So are you saying then, though, that the Act, because you have the Dog Breeding Establishment Act 2010, the Animal Health and Welfare Act 2013, that you have local county councils involved, you have the involved, that it's all not fit for purpose? Well, I would say that the Animal Health and Welfare Act is uh, a good piece of legislation. But the Animal Health and Welfare Act is designed to, you know, prevent cruelty. So we're, we're setting a pretty low bar there. 
I think if we're legislating for people to be producing puppies in large numbers, you know, commercial uh, production, making money, those, those standards have to be higher. So we need legislation that's robust and, and can be enforced and, and require people to apply uh, higher standards to ensure that the puppies are socialised, uh, they're healthy, that all the, the mothers are healthy and that they are lo- socialised too. You know, you can't have a situation where somebody has 100 breeding females and, you know, they're, they're looking after the puppies and selling them on while at the same time these females never see the light of day and are shut up the whole time. Connor, um the most recent data we've come across here is that we have almost half a million dogs in Ireland. And I, I think that figure was produced in the context that now, you know, our shelters are full. They're full, especially post-COVID, they're full of stray, surrendered, abandoned, mistreated dogs. So do we have too many dogs? Well, from my observations, yes. Uh, from from what I see on the ground, there's too many dogs. There's too many people with too many dogs. And we've seen a lot more serious welfare issues post-pandemic. Why? Is that because people just had no experience with dogs and they got dogs? I I think that there was overproduction. Now we've got too many dogs and those dogs are available to the wrong people sometimes. So whereas we might have encountered situations before where somebody had two or three dogs and they weren't looking after them properly. Now we've got the same people and they've got five or six dogs and they're not looking after them properly. When animals are easily accessible and cheap, they do tend to fall into the wrong hands. We know that some animal welfare measures have been taken. So, for example, microchipping is a legal requirement. Has that had any impact on puppy farms? Microchipping of pups from dog breeding establishments has been a requirement since the introduction of the Dog Breeding Establishments Act um, and then more recently under the microchipping of dogs regulations. They Generally, most of the dogs that come out of certainly registered dog breeding establishments would be microchipped. But we also have reason, good reason, to believe that there are dogs being produced in commercial registered dog breeding establishments who are being smuggled out the back door, effectively, into vans, which are then passing out through Ulster. And you're saying that's happening in registered? Okay, so therefore the puppy farms must be a wild west for that sort of thing then? Absolutely. I mean, if you're producing puppies and you're not uh, complying with the legislation, you're not registered, you're not uh, operating to high enough standard, your pups perhaps aren't fully healthy, you don't want people finding out where they came from. So it makes sense not to have them uh, microchipped and registered. Or sometimes we have people, pups that are microchipped, but they're registered with insufficient details. And that's something that vets need to be very mindful of. If you are registering, microchipping and registering a pup for somebody who's come in, they should be providing proof of their their address and their identity, uh, including utility bill. We found... I can think of one place where there was a derelict house and we took about 25 puppies out of it or kept there in cages, obviously ready to go to be sold. And they were registered under different variations of the same name and there was just one road in a town with no specific address. So somebody was obviously getting a vet to, to register them with those details, but they were insufficient. And what happens then? Is there any sanction against the vet, for example? Well, it's something that we would highlight and uh, we would pass it on to uh, the Department of Agriculture who, under who the microchipping of dogs regulations come. 
Now, look, this time of the year, you're not advocating anybody to go out and buy a puppy, you know, because puppies, that old line, you know, puppies aren't for Christmas, they're for life. And I suppose broadly, the ISPCA's advice is to do your research before you get a dog. How is somebody supposed to do that? Is there, for example, a register of breeders? The dog breeding establishments, there is registers of them and they're uh, kept on a county by county basis. And local authorities, some of them publish them on their website and you can look it up. But only some? Some don't, yeah. So it's a bit of a mixed picture. But, you know, there are people as well who would not be comfortable buying from somewhere where there are six or more breeding females. They might not want to, to purchase from a place like that. But you should be able to look it up in our view. There should be a national register of those dog breeding establishments. And you should be able to look it up and make a informed decision on whether you want to purchase from that place or not. And don't be afraid to turn around if you, if you sense something is wrong. I mean, first and foremost, we would say to people, come and see us. You know, we've got loads of dogs, hundreds of them, and they're all looking for homes. And these are nice dogs. They're not damaged goods. They might not be the picture-perfect, fluffy puppy you had in mind, but, you know, that might not be the best thing for you. And if you come and talk to the ISPCA, we'll, we'll talk to you about your home, your family arrangements, what might fit into there. And it mightn't be the one you're thinking of. So we would say come to the ISPCA or any animal charity and, and adopt, first of all. Thanks very much, Connor. That's it for today. For more news and analysis, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.